From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are VOA White House correspondent Anita Powell and VOA executive producer Steve Reddish. Welcome, Anita and Steve. Pleasure to be here. Always a pleasure. Well, here are the issues. Russian President Vladimir Putin declared martial law in the four regions of Ukraine that Moscow annexed and gave all regional governors in Russia emergency powers that opened the door for sweeping new restrictions throughout the country. The U.S., Britain, and France have asked the U.N. Security Council to discuss the issue of Russia using Iranian drones in the war in Ukraine. Iran denies its involvement and working relationship with Russia. U.N. human rights officials have condemned Iran's violent suppression of anti-government protests as a violation of international law. President Joe Biden is moving toward a release of at least another 10 to 15 million barrels of oil from the nation's emergency stockpile in a bid to balance markets and keep gasoline prices from climbing further. While campaigning for his party in upcoming midterm elections, Biden urged citizens to vote for Democrats to retain control of Congress so they could codify Roe v. Wade. And early voting is taking place in the U.S. state of Georgia ahead of midterms set for November 8th. The state is one of only a few, along with others, such as Arizona, Pennsylvania and Ohio, which could determine control of the Senate. U.K. Prime Minister Liz Truss resigned following a failed tax-cutting budget that rocked financial markets and which led to a revolt within her own conservative party. The House of Representatives Select Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol says it will soon issue a subpoena to former President Donald Trump. They are seeking his testimony under oath as well as documents. As Haiti continues to grapple with gang violence, inflation, and rising cholera cases, a proposed U.N. Security Council response is being met with caution by some Haitians. Well, those are the issues, and let's get started. Anita, in your coverage of the issue of Russia using drones supplied by Iran, where does the Biden administration stand on sanctions against Iran and the U.S. response to the country's government denying it supplied Russia with drones? So I asked the press secretary directly about this very issue this week, and the White House reiterated that they will vigorously enforce sanctions, which indicates that they are taking the same quite firm line as they've been taking for considerable amount of time. But they're really holding firm on this new relationship, one could say, between Iran and Russia, as we saw with these drones that exploded over Ukraine's capital. I asked the press secretary, because I thought this was interesting, how this increase in tension and rhetoric between the U.S. and Iran might affect the really big prize that's kind of hanging in the wind right now, which is the JCPOA. That's the Iran nuclear deal. That's what the shorthand is for it. And she revealed something that I think was a little bit new. She said, I don't see an agreement on this deal anytime soon, which is maybe the first acknowledgement from the White House that this deal is faring worse than anybody previously thought. Of course, we saw the indications that the JCPOA negotiations were languishing. But this is a big deal because this is the pretty much Western effort to stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. And so this matters. It's interesting to note that this is very much part of this discussion, is my point. And the White House is holding firm. As they say, the ball is in Tehran's court. 
And the issue with Iran and the drones is creating beyond the JCPO and what's happening in Ukraine. A, many see the issue of Russia buying these drones as a sign that Russia's munitions are depleted. As well, there's concern about using the Iranian drones in Israel, which has tried to remain neutral in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Israel does have military weaponry that it can share with Ukraine and or Russia, but seeing what the Iranian drones can do in Ukraine makes many in Israel wonder what those drones can do to them, Iran's sworn enemy. And it's causing some in Israel's government to advocate that the country should not remain neutral, that it should provide Ukraine with weapons with military aid. And that could add a different kind of volatility to the already escalating war in Ukraine. The drones have got more than just what's happening in Ukraine. It's got an effect in various different parts of countries' foreign relations and foreign policy issues. And also in mentioning the escalation of this war, Russian President Vladimir Putin declared martial law in four regions of Ukraine that Moscow annexed. What has been international reaction to this so far? Well, obviously, the West is condemning this because this is just another tool that Vladimir Putin has pulled out of his toolbox in his continued conquest of Ukraine. This is a semi-legal one. He's using the levers of the law here, whereas his other strategy is to start attacking civilian infrastructure in Ukraine, you know, in the war side of things. Yeah, he's tightening his grip. And obviously, this is alarming to not just Ukraine, but its allies. And they're very concerned about this move. Also, in looking at what's going on in Iran with the protests continuing, human rights officials are calling for the Iranian government to stop cracking down on the protesters. And it appears the Biden administration's apparent circumspection toward the protests is the correct policy course. So would it do more harm than good for the protesters if the U.S. became more involved in the protests? Well, I think it's important to note that the Biden administration has been more outspoken on this internal issue, one could argue, in Iran than any U.S. administration since at least 2009. So this is notable. The White House has spoken out and expressed support for the protesters and asked the government or demanded that the government behave better against this upswell of public discontent. It is interesting that the U.S. is speaking up, whereas in previous protests and previous ructions in Iran, they have stayed quiet. I think this is a shift. In speaking with several Iranian Americans, America did not get involved and did not say enough in 2009 during the Green Revolution that kind of sputtered out and didn't lead to the kind of change that many saw the Green Movement have possibilities to create. So many in Iran are wary of America's involvement. While they may welcome the support, they understand that for the most part, America's hands are tied as far as anything more than verbal support and whatever other sanctions might come by the United States. Iranian Americans tell me that Iranians know that they are on their own in this fight against their government for basic human rights. The hijab protests have been going on for several years. They haven't been very 
large, but women in Iran have taken to some very modest protests of wearing the hijab out in public for the last several years. And this has now escalated with the death of the 22-year-old woman in the custody of the morality police. And it's also going to a new generation of Iranians who have taken up this cause. It is that new generation of Iranians that is suffering the most by this crackdown. One of the things that these friends of mine tell me is that there is a fierce sense of movement, that this is something that the mullahs and the ayatollahs are facing as far as perhaps wiping out the next generation of Iranians. And that is something that is not necessarily desirable, even though the Iranian government wants to remain in power. So there's this kind of push-pull that's going on inside of Iran, and the situation could get even deadlier as the weeks and the months go further. And I just want to direct everybody to the new face of this movement, arguably. She's a climber, a competitive climber from Iran named Elnaz Rakabi. And the reason she's in the news right now is that earlier in the week, she was competing in a climbing competition in South Korea, and she competed without her hijab. This was initially seen as a statement of support for the protest. But then later, after a conspicuous silence and a few hours where nobody could reach her, she seemed to walk back from that stance and said that her hijab inadvertently fell off before the competition and she was in such a rush that she competed without it. Now, she was greeted by crowds at the airport when she returned to Tehran, but people are very concerned about her safety and about her future now because she appears to be holding the line and saying, oh, it was an accident. I wasn't trying to be political, but people are very concerned about her status right now and how the government is going to view her and react to her. Very interesting. Really good points on that topic. Moving on to our next topic here in the U.S., inflation and rising gas prices are top issues for voters. And President Biden announced the release of at least another 10 to 15 million barrels of oil from the nation's emergency stockpile in a bid to balance markets and keep gasoline prices from climbing further. However, some Republicans are saying the timing of it was done for midterm elections. What are your thoughts on this? Well, the president of the United States doesn't control gas prices. Gas prices are controlled by the markets and the supply and demand of gasoline. However, because of the war in Ukraine, because OPEC has cut back on production, gas prices have risen over the last year to a point where it peaked over the summer, it's come down, it's gone back up. President Biden earlier announced releases of millions of barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. This is yet more release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Will this bring gas prices down a little bit, maybe a, a penny or two? Maybe it will stabilize gas prices for the next two weeks until Election Day. Biden hasn't been the first president to do this. Other presidents have released millions of barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserves in order to control gas prices. So, yes, this is politics. This is an attempt by the president to try and keep the economy and keep inflation at a level where Americans are at least used to it and aren't getting gouged in the pocketbook anymore. 
Republicans obviously are hitting Democrats and hitting Biden on the economy, on inflation, while Democrats are trying to use the issue of the Supreme Court's overturning of a woman's right to an abortion here in the United States as one issue and then taking that one step further and saying if they're going to take away a women's right to an abortion, what will they do to you next as a campaign theme? Right now, this election is churning on basically those two issues with some other issues spread through the country locally. One thing that I am very sure of by looking at the early voting numbers in Georgia, which is having not only an intense Senate race, but also an intense governor's race and intense races all the way down the ballot. The early voting numbers from Georgia show that we're going to have another record-setting turnout of voters and another election, especially a midterm election, where we're going to break turnout numbers. Can we actually just talk about that Georgia race for a minute? Because I think our listeners think U.S. politics can be quite dull. And I think this race is anything but dull. So I'd love to just illuminate the characters and talk about what they're doing right now. So what we have in Georgia is a really tight Senate race, which could determine whether the Republicans or the Democrats control the House of Representatives and the Senate going forward, which means that any legislation, because it's such a deeply divided Senate, would be voted along party lines. So it's a matter of simple majority, right? This is really interesting that the United States is somewhat being tested in Georgia with these two very different candidates. We have Herschel Walker, a former football star, up against Raphael Warnock, who is basically the spiritual inheritor of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. because he is the preacher at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. He's a very skilled orator. He's the Democrat. Herschel Walker is the Republican. And it's very interesting how this race has become about the personal rather than the political and how this is driving a lot of this news cycle and this election. Herschel Walker got into a little bit of trouble in the news the other day when a woman came forward and said that although he's very outspoken in his harsh opposition to abortion for any reason at any time that he allegedly paid her to get an abortion in 2009. Walker initially said, I've never heard of this woman. I don't know who she is. And the woman said, Said, well, let me help you out. I have another one of your children. I'm the mother of one of your children. Do you remember who I am now? So this is kind of happening in the public view and illustrating, I think, how personal of an issue abortion is. And I think that's in a lot of ways helping Americans relate to this discussion about abortion is not an abstract issue, but something that really can be quite messy and personal. But it's also interesting that this is what's dividing the electorate in Georgia, and this could determine the direction of American law for years to come in all sorts of different areas, not just on the issue of abortion. Very nice summary of the U.S. politics and uh, upcoming midterm elections, which are set for November 8th. Well, it's time now to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk more of the hot topics of the week. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com issues. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype, VOA White House correspondent Anita Powell and VOA executive producer Steve Reddish. 
Well, UK Prime Minister Liz Truss has resigned. Of course, it seems like it was so sudden. She's only been the Prime Minister for even less than two months. So how surprising is this? I think by Truss's own admission on Wednesday, she stood in Parliament and said, I'm a fighter and not a quitter, and then resigned. So I think not even Liz Truss was expecting this to happen, maybe. So I think this is a surprise. You know, the White House doesn't comment on other countries' governance or politics, or rather specifically on other countries' politics. So they're likely to keep mum about this and keep the stiff upper lip about this development. But it is concerning because the UK is the most trusted ally of the United States, a serious partner in not just transatlantic relations, but also in the framework of NATO, which is really important right now because of the conflict in Ukraine. So this is going to have ripple effects. And one wonders who's going to come in after trust, who only served for 44 days. And in that time, memorably, she went through two finance ministers. The U.S. is almost certainly hoping that the U.K. pulls its socks up and gets its act together because this sort of coordination and coherence in transatlantic affairs is very important right now. The U.K. exited the European Union over the past three or four years. They've been working to get out of the European Union. They're out of the European Union to go out on their own economically without having their hands tied by the other countries on the European continent. Add COVID to that and the economic downturn that took place throughout the world, and you have the situation that you have now in the UK, where economic decision after economic decision has led to the Tory party not being able to figure out how to get the economy back on track. Add in the energy issues that all of Europe is feeling because of the lack of Russian oil, and you have a prescription of 44-day prime minister, and now new elections in Great Britain. We'll see where that goes. One of the things that if you look back in political history between the UK and the United States is one country usually follows the other country as far as where the tide is going, whether it's conservative or liberal. I'm very interested to see how the UK comes out of this and where the United States goes as far as its politics is concerned. I was just about to say that, Steve. For example, the 2016 Brexit vote presaged, I think, the changing political tide in the United States. And so to say that this is just something that's happening on the other side of the pond and it doesn't matter in the United States, I think, is naive. This does matter. And our strongest ally experiencing this instability, let's just call it what it is, and also this economic instability with the pound basically getting pounded, crashing, is significant. And in some way, shape, or form, it is going to affect us in the United States. Well, here in the U.S., the House of Representatives Select Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol says it will soon issue a subpoena to former President Donald Trump. Was this announcement by the committee a surprise? I'm not sure it was a surprise. They've gotten testimony from almost everybody except the former president of the United States about what was going on in his mind on January 6th. But whether we'll see Donald Trump testify under oath is an open question. Time is not on the committee's side. If Republicans are able to win the majority in the House of Representatives, it's my assumption they will withdraw the subpoena and the committee's work. We'll hear very little about January 6th once they take control of the House of Representatives. The subpoena will be served, but whether it actually is 
acted out on is another question. If Democrats keep the House, we might see a big court fight over whether or not Donald Trump is going to be forced to testify before the January 6th committee. I can't even keep track of all of the legal challenges that the former president is facing on so many fronts. But I'm sure we all breathlessly read the 14-page letter that he wrote in response to this call for a subpoena. It doesn't make it clear that he intends to comply or not, but it does make it clear that he firmly believes still, nearly two years later, that the 2020 election, in his words, was rigged, even though there is no convincing evidence of this. And the courts ruled in every single case against his claim. Very good point on this topic. Let's move on to get our final topic in. The situation in Haiti, where the international community is deliberating the deployment of what they're saying is a multi-nation rapid action force. The U.S. has already sent personnel, armored vehicles to aid Haiti's police in battling a conglomerate of gangs who have taken control of the country. So I just wanted to quickly get your thoughts on this situation in Haiti and the U.S. involvement. This is a very contentious issue and a very sensitive issue in the United States because, of course, we have large populations of Haitian Americans living around the United States, but particularly, I believe, in Florida. So this is a very resonant issue and one that hits very close to home for a lot of Americans. What the UN is discussing is a non-UN peacekeeping force with a limited sort of mandate or scope. And so it's not clear what that's going to look like, but the history of UN peacekeeping forces is mixed at best, I think we could say it diplomatically. The bigger question is, how can they design a peacekeeping force that doesn't fall prey to all of the failures that previous UN allied peacekeeping forces have fallen prey to around the world, especially on the African continent? It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And politically, this is going to be a fight because there's a lot of resistance to putting American boots on the ground around the world. And this is going to be another such fight. History is not on the UN side as far as peacekeepers in Haiti. After the 2010 earthquake, UN peacekeepers went to Haiti. And gave everybody cholera. And gave everybody cholera. Yes, and cholera is still an issue in Haiti today. And the U.S. has not had a very good history in Haiti either. Two decades of occupation in the mid-1900s led to disaster and a U.S. retreat. And again in the 1990s, 20,000 American troops went to Haiti to restore President Aristide to power after he was deposed in a coup three years ago. It's fraught with danger as far as Americans going to Haiti, UN peacekeepers going to Haiti. What a terrible situation in the Americas. Time now to find out what is weighing on the minds of our panelists. Anita, what is weighing on your mind this week? Well, former Vice President Mike Pence lives rent-free in my head, and he's starting to emerge politically ahead of, one presumes, the 2024 races. He spoke to the Heritage Foundation. This is a very conservative think tank about his policy goals, both foreign and domestic. But the clincher was when he was asked who would he support in the 2024 election. Would he support his former running mate, Donald Trump? And he said, There might be somebody I like more. I just can't figure out who that could be. I'm joking. It's probably Mike Pence. He's obviously trying to burnish his image and kind of get back out there. But I thought that was 
telling that the former vice president, after more than a year of being very careful not to criticize Trump too much, is kind of saying this, that there might be somebody that I like more than my former president. If 2024 is weighing on your mind, what's weighing on my mind is 2022. I've been covering politics for 40 years in the United States. Every year it's been said, this election is the most important election ever. Most of the time I bought into that. Every election is important because how you use your vote to determine your government is what democracy is all about. But with all the election deniers that are all across the ballots, all across the country, I truly believe that this election in November is America's most important election ever. We will close the show on those thoughts. My thanks to our panelists, VOA White House correspondent Anita Powell and VOA executive producer Steve Reddish. I'm Kim Lewis, and thanks for joining us for Issues in the News. Mm-hmm.